Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, human beings, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Our guest today, International Development Enterprises Vice President of Communications and Marketing, Casey Koch, and Who Gives a Crap? That's right. That's the name of the company, Who Gives a Crap? Their head of impact, Robin Cho, embody the meaning of business for good, from empowering entrepreneurs and communities affected by climate change to donating toilet paper profits to countries without access to toilets or proper sanitation. They both champion business being an active part in social change, and they do this together, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Casey and Robin, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Happy to be here. Thank you, Aaron. Delighted to be here. Awesome. It's great to have both of you here. So let's just level set for a second. There's some acronyms we have to go over as well, an acronym called WASH. Robin, I want to start with you. Robin from Who Gives a Crap? Love it. Tell us about the company, your role, and why don't you explain the acronym WASH, and then I'll hand it over to KC, and then KC will talk a little bit about IDE. Awesome. So who gives a crap? We make eco-friendly toilet paper, tissues, paper towels. And we do that because we donate 50% of our profits towards this acronym WASH, which is water sanitation and hygiene for the billions of people in the world that do not have access. And so our business really exists so that we can hopefully see a world in which everyone has access to these basic rights of water, sanitation, and hygiene. And that's what WASH stands for. I feel like I just said that seven times in my intro, but water, sanitation, and hygiene, that is what the acronym WASH stands for. And they are three distinct areas of work, but really they work together best. I often say that it's like Harry Potter. It's the trio where they individually are awesome, but together they're a superpower. That's how I would describe WASH. Okay, I'm going to come back to you in just a second. I've got lots of questions there. KC, a little bit about yourself as well as IDE. It's been around a while. IDE has been around for a couple of decades now, three decades? Four, actually. We're coming up on our 40th anniversary this fall. So we're really excited to celebrate that. And also around the same time, we will have reached a major milestone of reaching about 40 million people at the same time we celebrate our 40th anniversary. So, so that's really exciting. I'll tell you a little bit about IDE first. IDE is a global nonprofit organization that powers entrepreneurs to end poverty. And we do that by supporting entrepreneurs to engage in businesses that not only earn them money, but also benefit their communities, whether that's with toilets or seeds or irrigation for farmers or what have you. We believe that entrepreneurs can be found everywhere and through design and innovation, they can have the opportunity to build a better world for themselves and their communities. IDE works in nine countries across three continents and we have about 1300 staff around the world. That's a little bit about IDE. My role is I'm the Vice President of Communications and Marketing and we see it as our job to make sure that as many people as possible know that we can end poverty, that we don't have to accept it as a condition of this world, but that by putting the right tools and knowledge and resources in the hands of entrepreneurs living in rural developing communities, they can make incredible changes. And we see that happening all the time. And of those employees, correct me if I'm wrong, but many of them live in very rural communities and villages around the world. Part of the business models that you're empowering people to have jobs 
and livelihoods that they might not have had otherwise. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it's about 96% of our staff are native to the country that they work in. And all of our country offices are permanent locations. So we don't fly in and fly out of the countries where we work with each project, which often will last from three to five years. But we start up a permanent location within each of these countries because we employ native staff and they have such deep ties to the communities. It's really important that we're bringing solutions that are contextualized to those local communities and are designed to address the specific gaps and challenges and opportunities that exist. So you can't necessarily transport a solution that really works well in Bangladesh to something, to a problem that's occurring in Honduras, for example. Right. And Robin, so Who Gives a Crap was founded about 10 years ago by three people. And it sounds to me, based on what I've read, Who Gives a Crap donates almost everything it makes, if not all of it, to, like you said before, using the WASH acronym, but also not only you know that, but also building toilets and helping to improve sanitation around the world. How did you and KC and or IDE get connected and when? And can you talk a little bit about this partnership? Yeah. So actually, the relationship with IDE started even before I had joined. And it was actually established with one of the co-founders, Danny. I believe that it was a really long kind of conversation. But obviously, the relationship started because there was a lot of alignment in our values as an organization and in the approach to WASH. And so WASH is, as Casey was saying, very contextual, and there's lots of different ways to actually do the work because WASH is a very complex system that requires lots of different players and actors. And so we really are looking for organizations that are doing it in a way where the alignment of the values are there. And so there was, I think, from the very beginning, this idea of big thinking and contextualizing and the belief that the market actually plays a really important role to be able to solve the water sanitation and hygiene crisis really came through powerfully and has really been important to the foundation of the success of our relationship. I learned in another podcast that more than half of the world cooks over open fires and flames. That was new to me or news to me in the same way that so many people don't have access to toilets, which is shocking. Like most of us who grow up in industrialized countries don't even think about either of those things because we're so privileged and blessed to have those things. But absent a toilet, you're going to the bathroom and you're basically polluting rivers and waterways and you're creating disease and all sorts of problems. Is that one of the reasons why you're so focused on not only sanitation, but obviously being able to help build toilets and give people access to proper sanitation to help reduce. I mean, there's obviously a sustainability angle, but there's also a public health angle here, right? Yeah. For a lot of us who enjoy the privilege of a toilet, when we flush our toilets, we get to just not think about what happens. And, you know, we really don't ever think about our toilets until something goes wrong. And then it's a real pain. And because we have that privilege, I think oftentimes we can't even imagine what it is like. And we definitely can't build empathy by telling people to openly defecate because of what you said. It is a public health issue. And the toilet has, you know, has saved more lives than any other kind of modern invention. I mean, it is truly 
has transformed and really is critical to our public health. And I think the thing that I really like about the toilet is everyone has to participate. So it can't be that only some people have a toilet and then other people don't. Because if you have one person in the community that is openly defecating, that really puts the entire community at risk. And so this kind of idea of it being a collective effort is something that I think, and that we're all, we're looking out for one another and trying to do our part to help protect someone else's health is something that's really, really beautiful. And also I think there's a lot around the toilet, especially for women and girls that people don't necessarily think about, and it's not necessarily quantifiable, but you think about women's health and safety when they have to go out and they have to defecate at night and have to walk long distances and just their safety against violence. Again, you know, those things are often not really talked about or quantifiable because those things are happening obviously in privacy and often at night. And so, you know, just the widespread kind of repercussions of the lack of toilets, I think, is once you start to really think about it, it really is so important to so many other things that people care about, women's rights, women equity, education, in addition to health. So Casey, when organizations like Who Gives a Crap provides funding to IDE, how are those dollars put to use? How does an IDE take those dollars and put them to the great work that Robin is talking about? So yes, great question, Erin. The way that we put those dollars to work is that we build a market system for sanitation. So what that means is that at IDE, we have a saying that we start with people. In other words, that means we begin with human-centered design. And we talk with all of the people who might play a role in the local sanitation market. That might include the purchasers of a toilet, but also the manufacturers, the sales agents, the retailers, the local government, anybody who might be an actor in that market value chain for toilets. And from there, we prototype a product, or sometimes it could even be a service, or it might be even a full business model to test it out and get feedback from users and use that feedback to then iterate and adjust and tweak the product or the business model. And there's also a lot of training that needs to happen in a sanitation market system with the various market actors. And they also need to be connected to each other. They need to be aware of where can they get concrete, where can they get plastic tubing, where can they sell their products, et cetera. And so sometimes we do that through market days where we'll actually bring a latrine to a marketplace and set it up so that people can see it and generate some excitement about it and pass out flyers. And part of that is about teaching people about the importance of having more hygienic toilets But it's also about letting people know that they can earn money from getting involved in the sanitation market. And so we generate a lot of energy around the market in that way. And so that's kind of the inception phase of building a sanitation marketing program. But from there, it's about allowing that market to grow and evolve. And we continuously do a lot of testing and evaluating so that we know how to pivot our intervention to address any gaps that appear in the market. And that's possible by having data. We have data at our fingertips through dashboards, but also having qualitative feedback loops that we can respond to in that intervention. How do you destigmatize, or has it been stigmatized? I mean, uh, off air, I was saying, you know, I love the topic of poop, but maybe because I'm a 12 year old boy trapped in a 51 year old man's body. But there is some <laughs> stigma, right, associated with these types of topics, and people don't want to talk about it, and they don't realize that, yeah, ha ha, it might be funny, and it is, but 
we're also talking about a public health crisis globally, and we're also talking about saving lives. So Casey, as a communicator, Robin, as being head of impact, you also are a communicator. Talk a little bit about that and how you navigate that. And Robin, I'm going to start with you. I think sometimes there's this misperception, I would say, from the public that everyone in the world understands that they need a toilet. And so there's just these long lines of people that are waiting for a toilet, but that it often is not the case. And the reason why is because when people do not have a toilet, they're often openly defecating. And when they're openly defecating, they're not doing it necessarily right near their home, but quite far away. And so it's very hard to kind of understand if I'm now walking a mile away to openly defecate, how that is actually making me sick. And I think that's very different when you're thinking about water, because water, you can see brown water, you can even see things living in the water, and you don't need anyone to tell you that that is not okay and is going to make you sick. Versus I think with, you know, defecating in the open, because it is so far away, and oftentimes they'll do it in rivers and things where it just goes away, it's very hard to kind of connect that. And so I think this idea of educating and really trying to change behavior is really the most important part because once they can connect the dots of, oh, my poop is actually making me sick and my family sick, then the investment in the infrastructure is very, very easy. And so I think that part is really important. And I think just for who gives a crap, the way that we do it with, you know, as you say, as something that is not very pleasant, is we really try to make it as delightful as possible. And we do that through humor. We do it through puns. I never even knew how many puns you could make around poop. I joined Who Gives a Crap. Uh, we really never run out, which is very surprising because we've been around for a decade. And I thought, surely we've reached the limit. I love the website, by the way. No, you guys are very cheeky and snarky. I love the website. I love all the comms. It's hilarious. I love it. I mean, again, 12-year-old boy. Yes. <laughs> I think in all of us, there is a 12-year-old you know, child inside that laughs at the poop. And so again, that really is just harnessing humor, delight to talk about something that is very taboo and oftentimes very unpleasant and maybe some shame that is you know, kind of surrounding that to make it a little bit more lighthearted. And so I think oftentimes the work can feel very heavy because obviously we're talking about, you know, people's health. And so to inject a little joy and some humor and some lightheartedness into it, I think is really has been our way of being able to bring it to the forefront of people's minds and, and hopefully everyday conversations. Thank you for that, Robin. Casey, if you can expand on that, especially from a cultural standpoint. So you have folks that are on the ground. And I mentioned this because my very first office in the city, oh my gosh, like 16 years ago, we shared a floor with the consulate of Namibia. And we also shared bathrooms with the consulate of Namibia. And the women in my office would come to me and complain that the women who were going to the bathroom next to them in the women's room would always leave the stall door open. And that made a typical young American woman very uncomfortable. And I said, that's a cultural thing. You just have to get used to it. Because these are staffers who work at the consulate who were not born here, were not raised here, and they're still kind of unaccustomed to the habits and the cultural componentry that we've all been raised with. And that's part of the reason why I ask that question in terms of when you're on the ground and you're trying to change habits and culture, introducing to them, this is technology. To us, this is still a primitive system. 
because it's gravity, you're flushing. But this is technology to them. How do you do that on the ground? Well, actually, what we have found is that to them, it's a status symbol to have a toilet. Ah, but that can work against them too, can't it? Because it can also create some division potentially. Certainly, there can be jealous neighbors who maybe hold it against them or resent them for it or want to borrow it, perhaps, and maybe become a little bit too (laughs) friendly. But we often start these projects because we see the lack of toilets as a health crisis. And certainly, diarrheal disease is an enormous health crisis. It's, It's among the most common causes of death of children under the age of five, actually. Many people don't realize how big of a crisis diarrheal disease is for children. And in fact, if children get it repeatedly when they're young, it can prevent their bodies from absorbing nutrients as an adult. So they never actually reach their full height or their full weight, and they'll they'll have what's called stunting for the rest of their lives quite often. But it is also a lethal disease. But when we go into communities, we learn that that health message is not very impactful. They don't want to do a behavior change because of health. But if we if we come in and talk about status and how if say their son just recently got married, that new wife who's going to come and join the family and live with them may want to have a toilet as part of her new life, living with her new family, with her husband. And so oftentimes that's a point, that's like one of those big transition points in a person, in a family's lives, when they will say, yeah, now it is time for us to get a toilet in the home, now that we'll have this new daughter-in-law living with us. But it's also convenience. It's just really inconvenient to have to go out into the woods every time you have to go to the bathroom. What if it's raining? Or what if it's, you know, the rainy season and there's mud everywhere and there's snakes out there? And And it can be unsafe. There could be human predators or animal predators. That's horrible. Yeah. So we try to use the kinds of insights that we think are really going to make a difference for the potential purchaser, just like we do with advertising here in the United States or in the West or in Australia, we do research to understand what actually motivates people to buy. And we talk about those things with communities. And we find that that's usually status and convenience. It's usually not about staying healthy. But of course, we do try to teach them during that sales experience about the health importance of good sanitation. And we've also found that when we send women out as sales agents, when we train the women how to be a good sales agent and how to listen to their customers and find a way to present the toilet as a solution to the family's problems, whatever those might be, whatever they're hearing, we found that those women are much, much better at reaching other women who are actually the decision makers about whether or not to buy a toilet. They're often the the one who is going to make that final call and persuade the family or the decision maker in the family to actually make the purchase. And they're also better at reaching other marginalized communities, ethnic communities or people with disabilities. Right, right. I was just going to say something that's so interesting in the work of sanitation is just there's so many cultural beliefs about the toilet and about poop. And so it's just so fascinating to learn about these different beliefs of, you know, why they openly defecate or, you know, why they don't want a toilet. It really is so interesting because it is not a neutral topic, I would say. (laughs) There's a lot of different cultural beliefs around why they openly defecate or what would happen if 
there was a toilet in the home. And there really is no way to really know that until you're actually in the communities and really involving them in those discussions. Yeah, I mean, my in-laws who grew up in England in Bournemouth and in Coventry, they had to, and this is a little bit different, this is not like a village, but still, this is not that long ago, they actually didn't have toilets in the home. They actually, it was outside the house. They had to walk outside to go, and it was just a hole in the ground. It was not like a proper sanitation system. This wasn't that long ago, if you really think about it. It's funny because toilet paper in particular is a very controversial topic in my home. So we're in a septic system. So we don't have the luxury of wiping our butt with like the softest material in the world. It needs to be septic friendly. And oftentimes septic friendly and soft on my bum don't necessarily go together. I say this as my daughter walks in from school and she's like, who are you talking to? What's going on? So can you just give us a little bit of a lesson in terms of the ingredients, what goes into the toilet paper and how you can have it all, how you can have a nice soft bum, a great wipe, be happy and still preserve and protect the environment and save lives while you're doing it. How does that happen? Yeah, I don't know how much people know about how toilet paper is made, but right now a lot of the industry, the majority of toilet paper is made from trees, from virgin trees that are being cut down and then used to make toilet paper that's kind of used just to wipe our bums. And I think for us, we find that to be completely absurd for you know deforestation. And so when there are other ways and other materials that you can use that are more friendlier for the environment, but also give you the same amount of comfort for your bum. And so again, using bamboo and recycled paper is really the materials that we use to be able to do that and are septic friendly because we have our own team members who live in places where they have septic tanks and are not connected to sewage. And so within our own teams have people that understand the sensitivity around tissue paper or around toilet paper on those systems. You know, our goal is to be able to show the industry that you can actually use environmentally friendlier products and that people will buy them. And hopefully by making it so delightful and convenient and a good quality product that hopefully we can help influence the industry to kind of move away from deforestation and look at just more environmentally friendly toilet paper. So what does that mean? Does that mean like bamboo and other alternatives basically? Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. So bamboo and toilet paper. And, you know, we've seen just in the last couple of years, a kind of an increase of environmentally friendly toilet paper companies that have come onto the scene because they are seeing that those are actually viable materials to use for toilet paper and other products. We're moving in the right direction and, you know, hopefully we can stop it or even slow down deforestation purely for the sake of wiping our bums. (laughs) And Casey, we've been talking a lot about poop and toilet paper and sanitation. I know there's a long list, but what do you think is the next most important public health issue where innovators, entrepreneurs, the next entrepreneur that's listening to this podcast can create a product that can also both provide employment for people, but also save lives? Big question. I'm not saying this is like Shark Tank, but this is one use case, but I'm sure there are plenty of others that IDE also sees that's either in the market right now, or it's kind of coming up. We are experimenting right now with a project called Canopy Composites. 
And basically what we're doing is taking plastic bags that are littering the environment in Cambodia and recycling them, but doing it with a special type of polymer so that they can be converted into roof tiles. So basically turning trash into something that's really useful that people need. Because right now, many homes in Cambodia use roofing material that's not particularly durable. So during heavy monsoon seasons or strong winds, it can you know blow away or become damaged. But these roof tiles that we've been able to start to prototype are really strong and robust, and they don't break very easily. So that's an example of thinking of a business model and designing a product that's really has one of the main inputs of it is pollution or trash. Yeah, that's a great example because it also talks about tying together the circular economy. It's a win-win-win, and there's probably others as well in so many different ways that you know, you're solving for lots of issues at the same time. And I do think that this kind of public-private partnership and being able to be innovative will help significantly a lot of these major issues that we're facing globally. Now, one last thing, this is really, really easy. I know how Robin's going to answer this question. An ordinary person who's living a very privileged life in that you know we take a lot of things for granted that so much of the world does not have, just toilets being just yet one example. How do we get involved to make a difference? How do we get involved with IDE? I know how we get involved if it gives a crap because we can buy the products. Buying the products starts a cycle of success and empowerment and also for female entrepreneurs as well. So I know that, right, Robin? If I buy your products, I'm hopefully also helping to make an impact. What about IDE? How do we get involved? How can we get involved to do more? Excellent question. I would say start by learning a little bit about um, the business models that we create, about what a toilet business model looks like or a business model around helping farmers become farm businesses. And once you learn a little bit about how entrepreneurs really do have the ability to make incredible changes in their own life and improve the way that they can earn money and overcome all kinds of challenges, then I think you'll see that it's pretty simple to get from there to making a donation, to engaging on our social media and spreading the word and telling your friends and family that we don't have to accept poverty as part of the status quo, but we can actually do something to make a positive change. There are so many negative stories out there right now in the news, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed with whether it's climate change or you know geopolitics or what have you. But we have over and over again, we're sharing stories of people overcoming really incredible odds in our social media and on our website. I think that people are really responding to that and just showing that they, they want more good news. Yeah. My favorite thing in my Instagram feed right now is the, have you seen Good News Movement? I don't know who's behind it. When I see something like Good News Movement, I'm always like, oh, it makes me feel so much better. And that's what we need more of, right? That's absolutely what we need more of. It's so true. And Robin, is it just buying the products? What else? What else can we do, Robin? The core ethos for us is to show how easy it is to do good. So even by just your purchase of toilet paper that you're able to do good. And so for us buying our products and really donating 50% of all of our products to help with the water and sanitation crisis is really the way that we're contributing. And 
when you think about the way that we give money, I think what is important, even Casey even touched upon this, to allow for partners to actually be innovative and to experiment, we really need to trust them and to give them money in a way that is not restricting them by believing that they are the experts and that they know. And it's only when we're innovative and we're supporting entrepreneurs who come up with ideas from their own lived experience, will we really see solutions come that will really help us as we kind of live in a more and more complex world with climate change and other factors that are really just making it just much more complicated. And so I think for us, helping customers understand that just by their everyday choices, they can really do something that is quite impactful and good and be supporting local entrepreneurs on the ground through IDE is really something that we believe in and is the best way to keep supporting women and girls and to get us into a world that feels impossible, but that we really believe that every person that is living on this planet will have access to water sanitation hygiene. And we'll get to enjoy all the benefits that we do here to live their life as they want. That is beautifully said. Can I build on that just a little bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I want to just, you know, build on that a little bit and say that one way you can make a difference and get involved is to support companies like Who Gives a Crap. We've been partnering with Who Gives a Crap for a couple of years now. And just in those few years, they have impacted 1.2 million people. What that translates to in very practical terms for these people is increased income. And these are people who are living on less than $2 a day. And so that increased income makes a huge difference in their life in addition to the fact of that they have a toilet. All combined, their total investment has leveraged $1.5 million in increased income. So that's a huge difference in just a couple of years so I would say, you know, support companies like Who Gives a Crap that are really integrating doing good right into their business model. It's not just a side project that they're doing on the side. It's, it's truly integrated into who they are and how they run their business. And thankfully, consumers now are not just buying good products, they're buying from good companies first. You need to still have a great product, but you also need to be a really great company. And that means having a value system. It means being able to give back to communities, having impact. And that's good. That's a very good tailwind that I think we all need to kind of ride going forward. And, and I love that. I do have one product suggestion before we close for Robin. So for those of us who are kind of like endurance athletes and long distance runners who sometimes, you know, you got to go, you got to go. If you create, if you guys created some sort of portable way for us to wipe our bums when we have to, so when we're going into the woods, unfortunately, we still have to go in the woods. There's no way you can solve that. I fully own it. I admit it. This is my public apology for all of the woods that I've soiled over the last several years. I'm not sure, Casey, can we support Aaron? I don't know. As he's just declared that, <laughs> that he's openly defecating. I'm going to get canceled. Public defecation. <laughs> I'm always really concerned that someone's ring camera is going to catch it. And I'm going to be on someone's social feed somewhere. I'm like posting to Strava, you know, and then someone's like, who's this guy? And it's like, oh my God. Aaron, you got to change up your running route. It's not the route. Well, I got to change up the route or I got to like, you know, we call it evac as you're probably quite familiar <laughs> in the running community. You need to have a good evac prior. Sometimes you're not totally there. You're just not, you just take some time. 
but you still have to, you're in the time you're gonna go yeah this is great this is great Aaron I love the product suggestion also if anyone has more please share them with us because I am not a runner my life would have to be in jeopardy to get me to run so the needs of the great runners of the world I would not know but it does make a lot of sense and we will take that under serious consideration well I'm gonna hide out of, outside of your I'm gonna find out where you live <laughs> you know put on a fake bear costume and next time you leave your house I'm going to start chasing you just to get you start running. And you're like, you know what? I like running. It's good. I don't believe in runner's high. It feels like you've got to run a lot to get to runner's high. And so the threshold. Because you haven't had it yet. Trust me. It's amazing. It's the best. <laughs> yes. Well, you're in San Francisco, so you believe in a different kind of high. We understand. It's totally fine. That's for a different podcast. Another. Listen, Robin, Casey, thank you so much. You guys were great guests. Can I go on Amazon to buy your product, Robin? Am I allowed to say that? Or do I have to, do I go directly to your website? No, go direct. We're a direct-to-consumer. So go to Who Gives a Crap and buy our toilet paper, tissues, paper towels, whatever whatever you need, we've got. I'm on it. I'm doing it right now. Absolutely. Thank you again. You guys are the best. Good luck. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies, organizations, and people. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our production team, including Maria Bias, Michael Grubbs, Anna Lamb, Haley Sackett, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show, sponsorship opportunities, and hosts by emailing bop at kwtglobal.com or visiting aaronquitkin.com. Find us on LinkedIn and Instagram under Brand on Purpose Podcast. (laughs) 